Hello. I want to welcome you to Renton Christian Center's Recorded Ministries. We hope you'll be encouraged listening to God's teachings. Our services are held Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We share an awesome worship experience here at Renton Christian Center. Be sure to visit our website at rccfoursquare.org. Here's our message. Hey, good morning once again. You know the banner that we have out here? I think we've used it about four years in a row. What does it say? Does anybody ever notice? The banner, it's all about Easter. What does it say? Easter changes everything. Yeah, it's getting kind of tired. Have you noticed? We, we really work those ropes and everything, and it keeps going. So uh, we did notice, however, the uh, church across the street, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, put up an, an A-frame board for their services, and guess what? They use the same theme. It's brand new. Easter changes everything. So I'm thinking, man, we've got a church on every corner now. This is, this is like the South. I love it. And we're all saying the same thing. Because it's true, Easter does change everything if, if you're involved in it. If you're standing off and looking going, yeah, big deal, so what? Let's move on with life. Uh, nothing will happen. But if you, if you begin to be inquisitive about, okay, how is that possible? What's this God, Jesus, death, resurrection thing have to do with me? You will be absolutely astounded to find that there's an actual God who can do actual things to embellish your life to heal your life, to give your life clarity and direction, to give you a sense of value, purpose, worth, forgiveness, no matter how far astray you feel like you've gone. Let me tell you, when that happens to a person, it changes everything. Not to mention, death is no longer your enemy. You go to heaven when you die. That, I don't know about you, but that changed everything for me. I, I have a, uh, a short video I'd like to just kind of kick it off with this morning. It's... Um, it's just a, a great, I think, kind of creative way to tell the entire story of why we needed Jesus to die and to be raised from the dead. So let's take a look at that. It began with darkness. Pitch black. Formless and empty. Into this darkness, God created light. Created entire galaxies, countless wonders beyond imagination. And to behold his glory, he breathed life into his children. He loved them with a passion burning brighter than the sun. And for a time, he made his dwelling with them in a beautiful, perfect world. But then, this love was torn apart, fractured by a crushing abyss so wide that it could never be crossed. An immense chasm created by our sin, our pride, our disobedience, and so, the darkness returned, and with it came death, wars, plagues, and exile. But our Father refused to leave His children in the darkness. So once again, He sent His light to dwell on earth, to become Emmanuel, God. 
us, to heal us, and save us from the terrible wages of sin. But where he preached peace, he was met with hostility. Where he preached love, hatred burned against him. Where he preached forgiveness, his enemies cried out for execution. He was arrested, tortured, and sentenced to death as a criminal. With nails in his hands, Jesus bore the unfathomable weight of our sin and cleansed us from all unrighteousness. They assigned him a grave with the wicked and sealed his tomb with a stone. Darkness reigned over the land once more as hope seemed to vanish. But on the third day, his light pierced the shadows. His power shook the earth. The Son of God rose, declaring victory over death and throwing wide the gates of heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. His love still calls to us. His grace still covers us. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Christ. Pretty inspiring. Very cool, huh? One of the things that I uh, have been refreshed in about the story of the gospel is that um, God didn't just raise his son. He resurrected <clears throat> this thing called love. It's, it was the love that was intended from the beginning that, um, that God had for Adam and Eve and also the love Adam and Eve had for God. It was something that you and I cannot fathom in completion. We might have a little bit of a taste. If, if you're born again, you've tasted some of the love of God. But it's nothing like what it'll be when we're with him face to face. And so what I want to do is go through the life of, of one of his disciples that, that had an amazing transformation through a series of events all the way to the point of when Jesus rose from the dead. And uh, you might be familiar with her. Her name is Mary Magdalene. You know, Mary was um, a woman who was living under the Old Covenant, under the Old Testament. Even though Jesus was walking around and teaching, Mary was still, like all Jews of, of her time, living under the law. And the only way people could please God under the Old Covenant was to keep the law, just keep the rules. It wasn't really a relationship of love necessarily. There are some accounts in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, of people who loved God, and it seemed like there's a real loving relationship. But for a lot of the Jews, it was just doing their duty. It was kind of an obligation. And Mary Magdalene was one of those people who was a thousand miles 
from compliance with the law. The thing about the new covenant, since Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, is, is that he, he doesn't invite us to keep the law anymore. He, he invites us to fall in love with him, which is kind of a strange shift, if, especially if you're like a religious duty keeper. That's a whole different kind of way of pleasing God. You know, a, re, a religious duty keeper is like somebody who shows up to work every day on time, only takes exactly 30 minutes for lunch, and leaves precisely at 5 or after. You know, compliant with the rules. And that makes boss happy. And there are a lot of Christians, a lot of us kind of live that way, and that's not a horrible way to live. Being a law keeper, a rule keeper is a good thing. But Jesus invites us to fall in love with him, which is different. And if you think about it, well, like if you wanted to give instructions to a guy, steps to falling in love with a girl, what are they? So let's, let's have some ideas. What are the steps to falling in love with a girl? What's step one? Huh? You got to meet them first, right? What's step two? Talk to them, yeah. Meet them again, meet them twice, right? Yeah. Then what's step three, four, and five? Listen, make a date. Yeah, there's a lot of, but it's not exactly science, is it? It just kind of happens. You can't predict the course of action, but the main thing is you've got to spend time with them. And then from there, you just got to see what happens. And so you think about that sort of love. It's way different than being a law keeper. What the resurrection brought back is the kind of love Adam and Eve had for God. We don't really understand it fully, but it's something Jesus is inviting us back to this morning. So I want to read from you uh, from Luke chapter 7. Let's, let's take a look at Mary's life and kind of see where she began and then see where she ended up. In Luke chapter 7, this is one of the first accounts where we don't actually see her name, but most scholars think this is a story about Mary Magdalene, her first, at least as far as we know, the first recorded encounter with Jesus. It went like this. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner." And Jesus, knowing his thoughts, he tells this little short parable. And he says, if two men owned a, owned a, owed a lender two different amounts of money, one man owed two months of wages, the other guy owed two years of wages, and the lender forgave them both, Jesus asked Simon, was the Pharisee's name, um, who would return greater love? And Simon said, the guy who is forgiven is literally 500 denarii, about two years worth of wages. And so Jesus went on to say, yeah, he who loves much, he who is forgiven much, is loved much. Okay, so that's kind of a short version of the story in between. And then he says to Simon after the parable, he goes, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Wow. 
One of the things that I, I think is fascinating about this is what Jesus describes as, quote, salvation. And my first point is, I'm just going to put it this way, in modern terms, terminology, oh, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. So they got both sides of the bargain. I would put it this way, terminology matters. Jesus is sharing the gospel, the good news, in a kind of language that was very unfamiliar to the Pharisees. And he's using a woman as an example who would not be your standing example in a typical synagogue Sunday or Saturday in those cases. So he's holding up this woman as the example. And look what he says. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. What was she showing in the way of love? She's weeping probably with joy or repentance or the combination thereof because Jesus is receiving her. She's worshiping and adoring him, pouring um, perfume on his feet, wiping his feet with her hair. I mean, talk about an affectionate moment. And Jesus says, this is the picture of a woman who is saved. This is salvation. This is what pleases God. A very intimate, personal, affectionate moment. And he's saying to Simon, it's a whole new world. This is what God had in the garden. This is what he's after now. Now, a lot of us who grew up kind of um, left brain people, you know, we're very linear and everything's kind of exacting and proper and square corners and straight lines and everything, the way we do life. That's sort of hard to relate to. It is for me, especially because Jesus is a guy. I'm a guy. I have to kind of get over that hump too. But Jesus is inviting us to fall in love with him, and that's exactly what salvation is supposed to become. It may not start that way, but it's supposed to finish that way because I believe, as I've mentioned for a couple of Sundays now, when we see him face to face, there will be a bride and groom experience. And I want to be ready for that. I want to be ready for that by practicing my love for him today. So when you think about, okay, I'm a Christian today, and I want to make sure I can please God and ask the question, so what is he after? Oh, I know, he's after obedience, right? Of course, he loves obedience, but it's easy for my little brain to get wrapped around the word obedience and start thinking, uh-oh, like, remember at Catholic school? How many of you went to Catholic school? Did any of you have those real tough teachers with rulers? They would just wrap your hands, man. Yeah, it was kind of scary. If you don't obey, whack! You know, they got you. And a lot of us kind of have this sort of re relationship with God where that's the image. And, and obedience sounds kind of like hard-nosed, you know? But love is a whole different call, a whole different invitation. In fact, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. The obedience will follow the love. Well, ah, interesting. So what if you were to switch that? What if he said the opposite? If you keep my commands, you'll prove that you love me. Is that necessarily true? No. There are all kinds of Jews who are keeping the commands and hated Jesus. So the rule keeping is not the first step. The love has to come first, and that's a little bit more mysterious. And yet he invites us into that kind of relationship. When Judas turned against Jesus, what does the Bible use to describe that turning away? What did it, it says Judas what? Betrayed. It was a betrayal. It wasn't leading a rebellion because he didn't like the direction of Jesus' you know, political views. 
No, it was a betrayal. It's a, lot, it's a language of love or actually lack of love. It's like a, a vow was made and then a vow was broken. I think that's why God says, I hate divorce. He's been through it. When Adam and Eve turned away from him, broke their vows to God, it was as if they went off to see another man. It was a betrayal of a, a vow, a promise, a betrayal of God's trust. And so Jesus is inviting us to something that's much different than just rule-keeping and, and linear, straight behavior. Obedience, absolutely. Submission, yes. He's after all of that. But we have to understand, love seems to be the highest and greatest thing that he can receive from us. So if the greatest commandment were obey the Lord your God and obey him only, well, then we'd be right on track to keep it linear. But he doesn't say that. What does he say? Greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. Gosh, I just, that's going to take a little bit of work because I don't totally understand how to love anyone, let alone God. And yet Jesus says he rose from the dead to restore that to us. One other example, I, I've just been, just kind of, I don't know, for me it's just been sort of a whole new thought. You know, thinking about the marriage bond between a husband and wife. Um, most of us know that when men run off to them, it's no big deal. Hey, it's a one-night stand, no big deal, man, because that's just, we're just wired strangely. We don't automatically feel guilty, though we should, not saying we don't. For women, however, Almost every time a man is unfaithful to his wife, it's like a knife in the heart, is it not? And, and that's why a lot of marriages end. There's one affair, baby, it's over. If not, you're dead. <laughs> There's something that women understand about that commitment, about that relationship that we men just don't always get. It takes us a little while to figure it out. I'm glad I've so far figured it out and plan to forever. But I think that God probably has that same kind of feeling when we walk away and literally run off after another man. And so he wants to teach us to love again. So first thing, if we want to grow closer to God, think about the way you consider him and your relationship with him. He wants us to fall in love. If we want to get closer to God, we need to move beyond mere obedience and think about it as faithfulness to a marriage vow that literally just thrusts a knife into his heart every time we disobey or go off track. That's how painful it is. And I believe the Spirit of God will sensitize us. He'll resurrect love in our lives, not just the knowledge that we're going to heaven. We got our ticket out of hell. We're on our way to heaven. Now let's go do something. No. He says, learn to love me. By the way you talk about me, the way you talk to me. Second thing is uh, when you read about Mary Magdalene, you realize sin is a relationship problem. This woman who had done everything she can to find love. She's looking for love in all the wrong places. She had just made a career out of being with men. That was her living, like many unfortunate women today. And so you know there was a longing for something more than just the check or the dollars or the denarii or whatever she was paid. There was something deep inside her that just longed to be held and loved and cared for and respected. Don't you think? Of course. And so you take a look at the transformation and, and you see something amazing. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. 
The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. This poor woman was in bondage. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. That's just a little tiny sentence, but imagine the transformation that Mary Magdalene went through from this former life, really dark, dark, lonely, painful life, to now she's in the company of the Savior doing whatever she can to provide for his means. He's no longer building chairs and stools and, and barns as a carpenter. He's doing full-time ministry. And so he's got to eat. He needs a place to stay. He's got to be cared for. He needs his clothes washed. He needs his feet washed. Whatever it takes, Mary Magdalene is now like this 180% different person. She's a full-on disciple. She's taking care of the Son of God. Now that cannot happen just because you have a religious awakening. It happens when your heart has been tenderized and touched by the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. That's the only way. And so a lot of us, I say that because I'm, I'm kind of a linear guy. I got saved because Jesus told the truth. I didn't even think about sin for the first three or four years of my Christianity or about breaking his heart or about hurting him or grieving the Holy Spirit. It didn't even occur to me. I'm just thinking about Jesus is true and everybody else is a liar. So I was always on the, on the truth path, you know, and I get this right. And it's taken time for my heart to be tenderized about this whole love aspect, which turns out to be the most important part. And Jesus echoed this change later on when he said, greater love has no man than this, than he or she lay down her life for her friends. Mankind doesn't have a sin problem. Mankind has a relationship problem. It's a relationship with God that affects every other relationship in the world. And the cool thing is salvation is God's relationship solution. It's not just this. He fulfilled the requirements of the law. The lamb's blood was shed. He was slain for the sins of the world. Therefore, we're off scot-free. That, that sounds so cold and, and medical. And that's not the reason Jesus died. He died because he absolutely adores you. I remember as a kid, I didn't always like what my parents asked me to do. And uh, there were times when I'd throw a fit or I'd try to sneak around and, you know, secretly rebel. But when I got caught, I would throw a tantrum or I would yell or fight and scream or anything to kind of let them know I was unhappy. But there was always one secret weapon that I knew would just kill him. Do you know what it is? I hate you. I hate you. You know why kids instinctively know that that's like the secret weapon? If you really want to hurt your parents, that's what you tell them. Because the opposite is also true. What your parents long for so much is to be loved. And so when you're upset, that's part of our sin nature. It's like, man, that speaks to the fact that we have this instinctive understanding that what God really wants from us is our love, not just our compliance. And so if we can learn that we have a relationship problem, we have to work on our relationship with God. If we want other things to go right as well, then we can actually begin to see some progress. So I encourage you, focus on receiving his love and his forgiveness every day. 
Just focus on, oh, Lord, thank you. I'm such a rat. Not that you grovel and start focusing, I'm a rat, I'm a rat, I'm a rat, I'm a rat. But just the acknowledgement that I so need you every single day. I'm so broken. I'm so glad you died and rose again because that's the way I can experience the garden kind of love again. Mary had uh, a shock a little bit later. As events were beginning to culminate and Jesus was now being dragged off to the cross, she, with a bunch of women, followed him. The Bible says some women were watching from a distance. Many among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. And I, I just want to stop and take a look at that. She can't get too close for fear that the Romans, like Peter, would consider her one of the followers, and who knows what would happen to those who were too close to Jesus. They could be drugged right into the, the same kind of end. But I think at the same time, she had to be looking at this man who treated her like no other man had treated her for years. He looked into her eyes without a single ulterior motive, and now he's being crucified. The only man she had ever, probably since she was a little girl, had ever experienced a physical touch without any moves being put on her. This woman who was treated as if she had value, and every time Jesus came into her presence, she was elevated. And her spirits were lifted. And if he's gone, what do I have? Who do I have? Pam performed a wedding last Saturday. Um, she did an awesome job, by the way. She's good at that, I'll tell you. She is gifted. And it was for um, Sarah and Christopher, uh, the Gilsons. And um, yeah, congratulations. Oh, you're here. Oh, you are here. Can you stand up? Ladies and gentlemen, Christopher and Sarah Gilson. Woo! <laughs> Congratulations. I'm so excited. I wasn't sure. I know you had other commitments if you're going to make it or not. So that's so cool. So anyway, Pam is, uh, she's, you know, doing a wonderful job in the ceremony. And then they come to the ring exchange and she holds up the rings and she goes, you've all to us, you've heard, you know, that the ring symbolizes this Precious metal, let your love be precious. It's an unending circle, let your love be unending. But she said, the ring is also an opening. It's like a door. And when you place this ring on one another's finger, you're closing that door forever. There will be no other but you and you, forsaking all others. I thought, that is so powerful. That is so beautiful. And that's exactly what... What Mary Magdalene was beginning to sense from Jesus, kind of like there was this commitment, him to her for sure, and she was beginning to warm up to him and beginning to experience the, this love and acceptance, and, and she couldn't believe. It was like the ring was ripped off her finger. How is this possible? In the same way, we know that what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden were was much more than just, oh, hey, how about that apple? All right, no big deal. They, they, had to, they had to have been deceived. The snake was very crafty. They had to have kind of maybe thought, let's, you know, this God thing we've got going on, it's awesome, but I don't know. There might be something else out there. How about if we go, and I can just, they didn't do this, but I can imagine using kind of the language of affairs, you know, hey, let's go play the field. 
for a while and see what happens. Let's go kind of, uh, you know, sow our wild oats for a while and see what happens. See what, I don't want to be too tied down to one person, you know. I want to check it out before I lock myself in. Isn't that the kind of reasoning humans use? And so, again, it's kind of like throwing the ring back at God's face. We're good. Thank you. You see, I think we need to understand the pain of lovelessness as much as the joy of love. The, the pain that we cause God and the, and the consequences we receive sometimes are just beyond our understanding. Mary Magdalene was watching her Savior die. She was still blinded by the sin of Adam and Eve. You know, darkness came over them. Sin caused a gradual dying and a gradual blinding to the point by, by the time Mary Magdalene and anybody on the planet, and even today, who don't know Jesus, uh, by the time it, it comes to us, the blindness gets so great, we don't know how blind we are to God because we're so blind to God. And that's why when you tell people about the solution to life's problems is Jesus, whew, right over their head, they, they just think you're nuts. They think you're crazy. Why? Because the blindness has, has begun to creep in. Now, Mary was starting to see something. There was a glimmer of hope, but she still was basically in the dark because he hadn't been resurrected. The Holy Spirit had not come yet. So she's still going, I know. I can't handle this. So if we'd recognize that our sin cost him his life, it really would, and, and we put it in the context of, of a marriage relationship, the keeping of vows, it really will empower us to stay closer to him. It really will. We'll just, we'll just not want to hurt him so much. And I think what, what Easter can be for us is just a fresh beginning, a resurrection of, of our love and our literal affection for him. And finally, we now have more of his love than when he was here in person. We all know that after the crucifixion, he was taken to the grave. Joseph of Arimathea gave him a grave that he apparently owned for one of his relatives or ancestors, offered it to him. They buried him. He was in the ground for three days. And this is amazing, okay? Mary has experienced the darkest day of her life. And now she's just discovered his body's not even there. It's like, I, well, let's read it. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Well, let me lead up to that. So um, let's see what happened here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She went early in the morning with a couple other women to cover his body in some spices and some perfumes and things. So apparently that was, a, you know, after two or three days in the grave and they had to skip the Sabbath, they're supposed to kind of keep him from smelling too bad. So she gets there and recognizes he's not there. She runs back, tells the disciples in the upper room or wherever they're staying, Peter and John come running back. And of course, Gospel of John makes sure to declare John was faster. He got there first. And so they come running back. They go in, and they see he's not there. They go running back. She came with them, and she stays. So now she's alone. Empty tomb. All the disciples are back. They're all freaking out. And here's where we pick up the story. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? 
They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. I think it's fascinating that the breakdown between God and man occurred in a garden. The redemption of mankind occurred in a garden. God's into gardening. <laughs> Any gardeners in the room? Pretty amazing. It's really, really powerful. And so Mary is now the one who is experiencing the presence of a man who loved her with the purest love, a man who accepted her, who embraced her, allowed him to embrace, I mean, her to embrace him, at least previously. But this time it's different because she still remembers, she's still been blinded by the sin of Adam and Eve. She still doesn't understand, doesn't get it. All she can say is, I let you go one time, I am not letting you go again. Probably feeling a little guilt, like she should have helped him back at the crucifixion. Maybe she could have rescued him or hid him or something. I should have done something. But now that you're back, what does she do? Our grandkids do that every time they come to our house and it's time to go. They won't let go. And we just like peel them off. We love you, but it's time to go. Because she's thinking this perfect man, this loving, holy, kind, gentle, safe man is the thing I've been longing for for my entire life. How could it possibly be good that he leave me now? And a lot of the disciples felt the same way. They thought, Jesus, die? Jesus, rise to heaven? What? How? How does that help? And so he said, and it's implied here, I'm ascending to my Father, and you know what he's going to do. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, another comforter, to be with you wherever you go. And through him, I will never leave you or forsake you. You won't have me physically, but you'll always have me with you. You may not be able to touch and hold me, but I will be with you, and you'll experience my love to a degree. Not like when you get to heaven, but enough to let you know I'm still here. See, here's what he was saying. He's saying, I... I can be with everybody all the time, all around the world for the ages if you let me, the man, go back to my throne in heaven. If I don't go, it's like one at a time. We've got to make appointments, okay? You can hold me for a while, okay? Your time's done. It's over, okay, next. I mean, that's not helpful. God is such a miraculous God. He says, I want everybody to taste and see and experience the love of God. Personally, one-on-one, -on -one. even though it's invisible, it's real. It's concrete in the change that it accomplishes in human hearts. So I want to close this morning by just reminding you something you knew all along, but maybe it's time to go deeper and say, Father, help me to, to love you. Not just obey, not just comply, not just 
stay out of the really bad stuff, just kind of, you know, venture into the little bad stuff every now and then. Help me to just love you and keep my vow of love. I want you to learn to, not learn to, but to be, I want to be trustworthy, Father. Not that God trusts in us like he needs us, but trust that we meet it when we say, I love you. I love him. There can be another resurrection. It can happen over and over again in our lives as we walk with him. Until we see him face to face, keep that ring on your finger. Remember, you close the door to every other lover, every other God, every other thing. He's your groom and he's coming for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the fact that you're constantly drawing us in and inviting us into an experience with you that is beyond what we've experienced so far. And no matter how deep we go, Lord God, we can always go deeper. So would you tenderize our hearts? Would you help us to be sensitive to your voice? Would you remind us that every time we ignore our conscience, your voice, we, we kind of put a knife in your heart? Would you remind us, Lord, to, to treasure you and to cherish you as much as you do us. I mean, we won't ever get there in this life, but Father, that's the direction we want to go. If that's something you would like to pray and agree with me, would you raise your hand right now and say, Lord, I need you to resurrect love in me. It needs to go deeper, Father. Yeah, good, good. Thank you, Jesus. Good. Boy, there are hands all over the place. Father, you see our brokenness. You see where we've been astray, where we've just wandered off. We've messed around. Lord, would you forgive us of our sin? We acknowledge it right now. And if you do, just silently tell them. I acknowledge, Lord, I've sinned against you. And bring forgiveness in such a strong way this Easter, Lord God, that we can walk with our heads held high and with Mary Magdalene have a, a transformed life that is evidence of the fact that we've been forgiven, that we love God because of everything you've done for us. And Father, help us to let our light shine everywhere we go, especially today when we're with family and friends. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah, let's give God a hand. Good job, God. Woo! If you would like prayer for anything, if you'd like to know more about meeting Jesus as your personal Savior and friend, please come. As a few folks would love to pray with you or talk with you or answer questions. Don't leave without having your needs met, okay? God bless you. Yes, God's Word is so awesome. I hope this message blesses you as it does me. We have an awesome time of worship during each of our services. We have infant and child care available, as well as complete children's education program. We host the Wildfire Youth Programs Wednesday evenings. Be sure to visit our website at rccfoursquare.org. Here's a final word from Pastor Kevin. Do you ever have thoughts about your purpose in life? Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or maybe you walked away and it's time to come home. You know, really our walk with God is about a personal relationship with Him. That's what He wants. I believe that's what we want. I encourage you to take a few moments and allow this message to sink in. 
Allow His Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. You know, the Bible says that if we draw close to Him, that He will draw close to us. So do that today. God bless.